to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Uh, for you folks who are our guests, normally what we try to do is we try to, you know, back way up and kind of cover some ground so that you can kind of get into the flow with us and to be quite honest with you for time's sake, though you're going to understand everything that you're going to hear today, we're not really going to be able to, to take the time to set the context like we normally do. We're, we're dealing in Revelation chapter 14 with an incredible group of people that are called the 144,000. Now there's lots of cults that are on the planet right now. People who in this dispensation are trying to read themselves into the number of 144,000. It is a grave error to make. The 144,000 is a group of people who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ in the very near future, I believe, during the tribulation period. It is a group of Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we've covered all of that theologically, doctrinally. We've tried to make sure that we understand exactly who that group of people is. But when we met them in Revelation chapter 7, they were on the earth. Now when we come to Revelation chapter 14 and John sees them, now they're in a different location. Now they're in heaven. Okay, now all the, all the cards have been played at this point. Their ministry is behind them now. And now we're seeing this group of people around the throne. And it's just an incredible thing because of all of the, the people that have ever been on this planet, all of the groups of people that God has ever intended to use, the group of people that did the job right or when it's all said and done, the group as we look over our shoulder and the only group in the entire annals of history that will ever have done the job right is the 144,000. And so what we've been trying to do is now that we've covered the, the things doctrinally, we've covered it all theologically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn as believers in these last days what Revelation chapter 3 would identify us as Laodiceans. What we're trying to do as Laodicean believers is trying to try to learn some lessons from this incredible group of believers that's going to pop up here real shortly. Now, I don't have the, the time this morning to talk about the uh, all of the implications of this, but the first thing that I want to make sure that we've all learned from this group of people is that there is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. And that evidence is made manifest through the seal that is received in their foreheads. It, listen, during the tribulation period, if you want to know who the 144,000 is, all you've got to do is look around for people who have been sealed with the Father's name in their forehead, and it will be very visible to you. It will be visible to anybody on this planet. What we've begun to see is as we compare Scripture with Scripture, as believers in this dispensation, in the church age right now, we also have received a seal, and that seal, just like it is with the 144,000, that seal makes us visible in our identification with the Lamb and His Father. Problem is, there's a lot of people that you just can't figure out. You know what they say with their mouth. You know that they profess to know Him, but when you look for it in their life, it's not visibly evident. And what God says is that's a bunch of hooey. The seal, if you've been sealed by the Spirit of God, He is going to write on you, not with ink, the book of Second Corinthians says. What it says is He's going to write in the tables of your heart. He's going to change your heart. And when He changes your heart, your life changes, and it's visibly evident to people that you are identified with the Lamb and His Father. But we saw also... Just an incredible little phrase down in, in verse 4. Would you look at it in the middle of the verse? Speaking of these 144,000, and this is just, I mean, it's one of those things that just kind of took me back as I, I read this. It says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And I mean, you just picture this. When we're in eternity, if you want to look for the Lamb, just look for the 144,000. If you want to look for the 144,000, just look for the Lamb, because wherever he is, that's where they are. They make sure that they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And what we've seen is that this characteristic is really the reward of these believers because when they were on the earth, you know what they did? They followed the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And now, as they've entered into eternity, it's just the continuation of what was going on on the earth. And now, wherever that lamb is, the 144,000, you can bank on it. They're going to be there. There is a submission to the lamb. 
They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And as far as the visible evidence goes for believers in this period of time that we're living in, we're not the 144,000, ain't planning on being. But boy, we do want to learn from this group of people who follows the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And what we find is that the invitation that Jesus gave to every single one of us was an invitation, listen, not to go to heaven when we croak. Now that's one of the benefits. The invitation that he gave to us was to follow me. Follow. And, and we, we've talked about this. I want to make sure that we've established this so that we all understand. Isaiah 53, in verse 6, says that every single one of us have turned to our, what? Own way. Every single person on the entire planet has turned to their own way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, what it says is not only did we follow our own way, but what it says is that we are following the course of this world as we're being led by the prince, uh, 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 the prince of, uh, 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 and power of the air. We're, we're being led not only our own way, but Satan's way. And because of that, Jesus comes along and his invitation to us is to follow him. Because we're following our own way. And so he says, follow me. And if you are a child of God this morning, it will be made visibly evident because of how you follow the Lamb, how you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about following, it's very important that we identify just what it is that we're talking about because we want to make sure that when we've identified this thing of following, that we're not following something that we have invented. I think this is what it means to follow. We want to make sure also that we're not following what someone else says is following. When we talk about following the Lamb, when we talk about following the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to make sure that we're doing what the Bible says followers of Jesus Christ do. Amen? And we began talking about the, the presuppositions of following. The presuppositions of following. That's that first triangle there on your, your study sheet if you need to be jolted into that. Okay, now listen. The very fact that Jesus was inviting people to follow him presupposes or presumes some things. First of all, following presumes change. We, we've talked about this. We've covered this one just quickly. The, the, the fact that he is calling us to follow him presumes that he's not standing still. He's moving somewhere. He's, he's going somewhere. We, we've learned he's moving at all times to accomplish his purpose for the universe and for the earth and for your life. And because he is moving to accomplish his plan, the simple fact is I can't stay where I am and follow him. Following very simply presumes Change, And we went through all kinds of examples, all through the Old Testament. We saw everybody who was invited to follow God, it necessitated something. It presumed something. You got to change. We walked through the New Testament. We talked about you can walk through the, the entire annals of church history. Any person who ever came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and became a follower of Jesus Christ, they were forced to change and what's so wild is that right now we are living in a period of time when so-called believers who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but their life has never changed and their life is not changing. They think that they're followers of Jesus Christ because they've, because they've adopted the Christian religion. Or they think that they're followers of Jesus Christ because they've embraced Christian doctrine. They believe all the right things about Christ. They think they're followers of Jesus Christ because of some experience that they had at the end of some Christian meeting. 
But what we've seen, and, and this is going to sound really, really deep, so hang on to this. But a follower of Jesus Christ is someone who follows him. Now, I know that that is just, just a starting reality this morning, that a follower of Jesus Christ is somebody who follows him, but somehow in the midst of all of the, the voices and all of the teaching, we've kind of missed in this Laodicean church period that what a follower of Jesus Christ is, is somebody who follows him. And if you follow him, it presupposes some things. It presupposes the fact that there are some things that are going to change. If you're going to follow the Lamb after you've been following your own way and following Satan through the course of this world, then all of a sudden, man, you're confronted with the invitation to follow him, and it necessitates or it presumes a change of direction. I'm going this way, and he's inviting me to follow him, and he's going that way, so I've got to change. It may mean a change of direction. It may mean a change of location. I'm here, but he's leading me there. I can't stay here and follow him. Sometimes it means a, a change of location. Sometimes it means a change of mind or attitude. I'm thinking one way about this, but I'm confronted with the way that he thinks about it, and I'm confronted with that, and I've got to change. Sometimes it, it necessitates or presumes a change of heart. Sometimes I feel a certain way about something. I feel strong about this. I come to the Word of God and I find out the Lamb doesn't feel the way that I feel. And all of a sudden, you know what i got to do? If I'm going to follow Him, I've got to change your plans. My, my plans are to go to this school and to enter into this vocation. Uh, I, 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 my plans are to move here. My plans are re to retire there. All of a sudden, the Lamb comes along and says, Listen, follow me. And sometimes it means a change of plans or a change of lifestyle I, I, I'm, I'm up to my ears in debt and the lamb keeps saying follow me follow me but I'm strapped over here so it may mean I've got to change my lifestyle maybe I shouldn't drive this maybe I shouldn't try to wear this maybe I shouldn't try to live in that or a change of priorities maybe following the lamb is going to necessitate changing the way that we prioritize our life. This has always been important to me. And all of a sudden, in light of the invitation to follow him, our priorities have to change. You know what? Sometimes following the Lamb means that you've got to change churches. Now listen, we never try to build our church off of anybody else's church. But you know what? There's a lot of trash out there today, and there's a lot of religious services where the Word of God is not proclaimed. And you know what? If you're going to follow the Lamb, you, got, you better be somewhere where the Lamb is working. And so sometimes it, it, it does necessitate changing churches. And listen, I'm not, I'm not presupposing that it means that you ought to change to this one. I'm just telling you, sometimes to follow the Lamb, it means... You can't stay sitting in a church where God is not even present. The Word of God sits forsaken. Sometimes you've got to change. Find somewhere where the Word of God is being proclaimed. But the fact is, the simple fact, I can't stay where I am and follow Him. So, very simply, following presumes change. And listen, if you cannot trace a pattern of continuous change in your life, it's very simply an indication of the fact that you are not following because he's not standing still. He's moving in a direction, and it ought to be evident in your life by your following. But not only does following presume change, following also presumes something else. Following presumes submission. It presumes submission. The, the fact that you are following him, and, and you, have, you probably ought to just keep your eyes glued to your study sheet for just a little bit. These are going to come quickly, I can tell you, okay? The fact that you're following him presumes that you've submitted to his rightful place of ownership and rulership and lordship in your life. You understand that? Following presumes that you're no longer leading 
It presumes that you're no longer going your own way. It presumes that you come to the place in your understanding that you're not your own. That you've been bought with a price and because of that, you've submitted to his authority and you follow him. But let me ask you, how is it that you, and I'm talking to you personally now, how is it that you actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, it's one thing for us to all sit in here this morning and, and, and say, you know, that we've submitted our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and we follow him. But let me ask you, how do you follow someone that you can't see? What does it really mean that you've submitted to Christ and you follow him? And what we find in the Bible is that what God does is he places people in our lives and he puts them in a position of authority over us. And, and now listen to this. He, he takes these people, he puts them in places uh, 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 or positions of authority over us, and then he directs our lives through them as we follow their lead. You got that? In other words, if you're going to follow him, it presumes that you've submitted to the authorities that God has placed in your life. But you know, one of the most amazing things about believers in the Laodicean church period is our ability to convince ourselves that we've submitted to the authority of the Lamb in our life and that we're following him even though we're not following the authorities that the Lamb specifically placed in our life and commanded us to submit to. And I mean, when you really step back and you start to see this thing, it's unbelievable. I mean, teenagers, listen. Teenagers can go month after month convincing themselves that they're following Jesus when they're not submissive, either in their actions or in their attitude, to the authority of their parents. But, but I want you to listen to me, guys. If you're not submitting, if you're not submitting to the authority of your parents, both in your attitude and your actions, listen, I don't care. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you voice to God in a prayer. I don't care what you sing in, this, in the big room about your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. The cold, hard facts are... If you are not following the authority of your parents, you're not following the Lamb. And the reason that some of you continue to disobey your parents and give them that look when they ask you to do something and come in here and you never change that is because somehow in your mind you've disconnected those two things. I'm telling you, based on the authority of this book, you cannot not follow your parents and at the same time follow the lamb. They're, they're mutually exclusive. One of, the, one of the key ways that the lamb leads you is through the parents that he gave you. You know, let me tell you guys something about, about the God that we serve. And this is one of those startling revelations. But you know what? It did not surprise God when he found out who your parents were. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, Oh, if only I would have known, I would have never commanded those things. No, listen. The sovereign God that spoke the universe into existence and planned that you would enter into human life, listen, that same sovereign God gave you the parents that he gave you. You know why he gave them to you? Because he knew that if you would learn to follow them, if you would learn in your life to submit to their authority, he knew that you'd be one whale of a follower of Jesus Christ because God gave you them. The parents he gave you with all their quirks, with all of the things that you look at and go, how did I do that? He gave you them because he knew that if you'd learn to follow them, you would become an incredible follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you, your parents are lost and say, oh my goodness, well, that must mean everybody but me. No, God knows your parents are lost. And he understands all of that. And, and what he tells you in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 is obey your parents in the Lord for this 
is right. You know what's so right about it? If you'll do it, you're learning all about what it's going to be to have a lifetime of following Him. He, he tells you in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, Obey your parents. Do, do you all know the rest of this? Anybody? Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. You know why it's so well-pleasing to the Lord? Because when you follow them and you obey them in all things, you know what, he, he's just sitting up there in heaven going, oh my goodness, this is just incredible. They're learning all about what it is to follow. And what this is ultimately going to be is I want them to follow me in all things. In every decision, I want them following me. And check it out. They're learning how to do that right now through their parents. That's why God gave you the parents that he gave you. And I know some of you ladies right now are going, yes, preach that. Oh, my goodness. Pastor Mark, go for it. I mean, that's, that's good stuff right there. You're not done with that, are you? And, and bless some of your ladies' hearts. You're, you're convincing yourself that you're a follower of Jesus because, uh, listen, you're here every single time. The doors are open. And, man, you love to sing the, the songs about your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, you lead your home. Well, if he'd lead it, I, I wouldn't have to. That, that's not the issue. The fact is, if you're leading, you're wrong. You're, well, hello. Did you, you know, that, that would have been a good time. You, you, you ladies are always coming to me and saying, I wish the men would say amen. That was your chance. I'm talking to y'all right now, okay? That should have been a very feminine amen right there. All right? Oh, yeah, we, we, want it. we want these kids to learn all about what it is to submit to the authorities in their life. When we're leading our home, when, and some of you, you think you're following, and yet you're not submissive to your husband. And again, just like with the kids, if not in action, in attitude, you don't put on, as 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 tells you, you don't put on the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Some of you think you're following the Lamb and, and bless your heart. You, you spend ten times as much time adorning the outside of you than what First Peter 3 tells you to adorn the inside of you so that you can obey your husband and submit to your husband from your heart. And some of you, you've never made the, the basic connection between following your husband and following the lamb. Ladies, listen. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, here it is, it's the S word. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as... Okay, now here it is. He's going to tell you how it is that he wants you to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Check it out, ladies. The kind of submission that we're talking about in attitude and action is the same kind of submission that you would think to offer to the Lord. A lot of ladies say, well, yeah, you know, I don't have any problems submitting to the Lord. I just have a, a big problem submitting to my husband. And yet what, what Ephesians 5.22 is saying, listen, the way a wife submits to her husband is how she submits to the Lord. Hello? Did you hear that? The way you submit to your husband is the way that you submit to the Lord. And what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is Laodiceans do not make that connection. I'm submissive to the Lord. I, he just drives me crazy now. <clears throat> it, it, it's, it doesn't happen. He placed him there in your life. And listen, if you can learn to follow him... You've learned to follow the Lamb. And I know that, that ugh, that's heavy. I'm just telling you what the book says. That's Ephesians 5.22, and you, you, you come in that, that same chapter. I, I, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Therefore, 
as, and here it is again, he's going to tell you how he wants you to submit, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You see, and some of you are you're wonderfully submissive as long as you agree with his decision. And if it ain't, some of you would never open your mouth. Not saying a word. Not me. I'm not saying a word about that decision you made. You know what? It's not following the land. He comes along in the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Here it is again. Not the way you think. As, you see, so that no, no woman would ever get to the point in her life to where she said, well, yeah, I, I submit to my husband. So that you never get your little self-styled understanding of submission. You know what he does? He keeps showing you what he means by what he says by the word as. You submit to your husband the same way that you do to the Lord. You submit to your husband the same way that the church submits to Christ. And then he comes in Colossians 3.18 and he, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. He says, hey, listen, do you understand that this is just fitting? That the whole world and the whole universe, the whole thing functions with Somebody leading and somebody following. And, and listen, you talk about fitting. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, eternal God, equal with the Father. Evidently, it's time to turn your sheet over. The wave. Uh, listen. Jesus, eternal God, the self-existent one, the one who has always existed, who came to this earth in a human body. You know what he did? He came, and he didn't hold on, Philippians chapter, chapter 2 says, to his equality with God. And you know what he did? He took on the form of a servant, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And now you know what? the submissive one to the Father says to you, ladies, and you submit to your husband. Listen, you talk about a fitting statement. He's not asking you to do anything he didn't do. Well, I don't like it. Tough. I, and I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be cold with you. I'm just telling you. God's placed you in a relationship there, and if you can learn to submit to Him, you've learned what it is to submit to the Lamb. Because He's going to make all kinds of mistakes. And if you can learn... Listen, the real Lamb will never make a mistake. And the fact that you're married to Him, you may look at it as a mistake, but in His sovereign plan, He's yours, and He says, now you submit to Him in everything and I know I know you men are going oh yeah go trots you're, you're saying something now Sean yeah, say that you know I, yeah we're, we're all about that and and some of you men are convincing yourself that you follow the lamb and that you're right with him when in your heart listen you're not submissive to your employer. You get with the fellas and you, you're right there with them. And you talk behind his back just like all of, all of the, the fellows. You, you, you have ill feeling in your heart toward him. But because you see, you're a Christian. You, you've learned how to mask that. But inside, he ticks you off. You despise his instruction. You despise him. And yet you file yourself into this room week after week. And you think that you're following the Lamb. And, and if, you, you know, if you're really hip on this thing and you return to Colossians when we were preaching to them, them ladies about their submission, 
If you check it out there in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, you know what he does here? He tells you, men, he tells you how to respond to your boss. Because what he tells us is that when we're at work, check this out. He says, we're not really serving our boss. And we're not really serving the company. What he says here in Colossians chapter 3, look at the end of verse 24. You're at work, and you know what you're doing, really? You serve the Lord Christ. And the fact is, if you're not submissive to the boss that the Lamb put over you, please don't try to convince yourself that you're following the Lamb. And listen to me, fellas. It doesn't matter how much time you spend studying your Bible. It doesn't matter how much time you spend on your knees in prayer. It doesn't matter how many mission trips you've been on. It doesn't matter how eloquently you can proclaim the gospel. It doesn't matter how eloquently you can stand in front of a Sunday school class and teach. If you don't follow your boss, you aren't following the Lamb. That's the way it comes down. And you know what? We, we could say the same thing about government. Hey, listen, if you don't abide... In fact, turn to the book of Romans. But now listen. If you do not abide by the laws of our nation and our state and our community, I'm talking in everything from taxes to the speed limit. If you're not following the laws of the land, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you may feel, as insignificant as you think those things may be to your fellowship of the Lord, what Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, look at it, what it says is that God ordained those powers and that whoever resists those powers resists the ordinance of God. In other words, if you're not following the laws of the land, you aren't following the laws of the Lamb. And if you're not following the laws of the Lamb, guess what? You're not following. Now, now listen, guys. I understand that what we're doing right now, this is, come on. Pastor Mark, we're way beyond this in our church. Come on, man. We, we understand all of this stuff. This is the stuff for teenagers. And I'm just telling you, folks, we've deceived ourselves. We think we're following when in the basic, I mean, A, B, C, in the very basics of the Christian life, we don't follow the authorities God placed in our life. But, oh my, we think we're sold out to God. Where you lead me, I will follow. You know? And we're going through all that trash, and that's all it is, is trash. If you can't follow the authorities that he placed in your life, and I'm telling you, in the layout of and age, we bend the tax laws, we violate the traffic laws, we trivialize the ordinances of man, and yet are quite certain that we follow the Lamb. And God says, uh-uh. If you're going to follow me, you follow the ones that I put in authority over you. You don't violate the ordinances of man without violating the ordinances of God. And, and let, me, let me mention another one that, you know what, to be quite honest with you, doesn't make me feel real comfortable to talk about, but it's Bible. And if we're going to really fully hit this submission thing that's presumed in following the Lamb, it's something we've got to talk about. And, and that's submission to your spiritual leaders to your spiritual leaders in the church. And again, it's an amazing thing how so many people think that they're, they're doing so well spiritually. And they think they're, they're sold out and surrendered and uh, they're a submissive follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me listen. But they don't follow the lead of the ones the Lord Jesus Christ has placed over them in His church and commanded them to submit to and obey. Now, now listen, for those of you that may be newer in the faith, I, I want to make sure that you understand this, and for those of you that are older in the faith, let, let's use this as a, a great reminder as we're just talking about this basic little thing, following the Lamb who we can't see, following the Lamb whithersoever He goeth by following the ones that He's placed in our life that we can see. Okay? 
Now, now listen. The way that God has set up his church, according to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, is he is the chief shepherd. Okay? Now listen. If you're ever going to find a church, find a place where he is the chief shepherd. And if that ain't this place, listen. Hightail it out the back. Find somewhere where he's the chief shepherd because the chief shepherd has set up a, a, a very very simple little plan for what it's going to be to follow that chief shepherd. In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and you'll notice in verse 4, that's where you, we pick up the reference, the fact that he is the chief shepherd. He is the, the senior pastor, if you will. People ask us in this church all the time because, you know, there's four of us and they see the, the name on, names on the bulletins. The, the, the question that visitors ask us is, well, who's the senior pastor at your church? And we feel like we've got to answer the thing biblically. And we tell them, Jesus I mean, I mean, that's what it says that he is right there. He's the chief shepherd. He's, he's the senior pastor. Well, they say, well, you know, you know what I mean. I mean, who, who's the head pastor? I mean, when the chips are down, who's the head pastor down there? And we tell them, what? Jesus. Because it says in Ephesians 5.23 that he's the head of, of the church. Now, the way that it came down is y'all voted me in 11 years ago, but I'll just tell you straight up, I don't want the title senior pastor. I don't want the title head pastor because that's not my title and that's not my job that's his title that's his job he wants to be the one who's calling the shots in his church but in a practical way now on a daily basis how's he going to do that within the context of the local church and what he describes here for us in first peter chapter five as well as other places in the new testament that we will look at what he describes for us here is that the way that this thing pans out on a daily basis is there is a group of men that the chief shepherd has specifically gifted and called and placed within that local church as his under-shepherds, if you will. He's the chief shepherd, verse 4 says, but he utilizes a group of men who assist him in shepherding his flock. They're the ones in verse 1 who are referred to as the elders. Most generally, we refer to them as, as pastors. It's, it's the same, uh, same office that's being referred to. And verse 2 says that if you want to know what their responsibilities are, and, and this will help you, this will help you to keep us accountable. It'll also help you if you ever move from here to find out what, what you ought to look for in, in a pastor or in a church, the way the thing comes down. Some of you are here, and I don't know what brought you here today. You know what? Some of you are going to find out this is the way the church is supposed to function according to what the Word of God says. What he says here in verse 2 is that this group of men, first and foremost, above everything else, they are called, first of all, to feed the flock. Feed the flock in that local church. And we're going to talk specifically about that in, in just a few minutes, but we are to, to feed spiritually the, the flock, we're to take the Word of God as our spiritual nourishment, and this is to be given out on a weekly basis in this church. That's not W-E-A-K, it's W-E-E-K. On a weekly basis, that's to come out. You're to be fed the Word of God. Secondly, this group of men is to take the oversight of that flock or oversee the flock. Okay, The way that it comes down is, is this group of men are the chief shepherds, eyes and ears and hands and feet to oversee that flock and to, to care for that flock and to protect that flock. And verse 2 says, look at it, not by constraint, not because they feel obligated, not because they're, they're forced to, but he says willingly, because they want to, because they recognize God's placement of their lives to be used in that capacity, and they're willing to be used of God in that capacity. And verse 2 goes on, not for filthy lucre, not because, you know, you couldn't do anything else and it's a great way to get paid, not because of what you can get out of it, but he says because of what you can put into it. He says because of a, a ready mind. And verse 3 tells these men, that their oversight must not be as though they're lords over God's heritage, 
It's not like there's some royal dictator or ruler, you know, over what belongs to God. But what he says, as those who demonstrate by their example that they're surrendered to the lordship of the chief shepherd, the end of verse 3 says, being in samples to the flock. They, they ought to be a group of men who are, are like a mold. And if you followed their life, you would be following the Lord Jesus Christ. Be in samples, he says, to the flock or, or examples. And if you want to know what kind of example the chief shepherd wants that group of men to set in the church, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 provides a list of the spiritual characters someone who serves as his under-shepherd is to have and to demonstrate in their lives. And, and you know what the, the list actually consists of? You know what that whole thing's really about, y'all? The whole thing is he's saying they ought to have the character of Christ. And if you want to know what the character of Christ is, it's, it's comprised in these lists. And what he's saying here is that if they're going to carry out the task of shepherding the flock of God, God wants to make sure that they possess the character of the chief shepherd. And one of the reasons it's so important for the men who hold that office and responsibility in the local church, the reason it's so important that they be men of that type of character is because of the responsibility that God calls the people in the church to have toward those men. And I'm telling you, if you get somebody in that position that doesn't have the proper character that's identified in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, it's spooky. Because now listen, God commands you certain things as church members and how you are to respond to those that lead in the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which, are, which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And again, they, they, they aren't your lords. They, they aren't your bosses, they aren't your rulers, they aren't a priest class, but, now listen, God has given them a position of responsibility to, to, to provide not only feeding, but oversight and leadership. So he says this to, to you, know them, that's the first thing, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Go on and to esteem them. That's the second thing. Esteem them. Respect them, if you will. Esteem them, watch this, not only highly for their work's sake, but very highly for their work's sake. And not only very highly for their work's sake, but very highly in love for their work's sake. And that's the third thing. Love them. And you see, you know why he's saying it like that? Because he knows that what some of y'all would do is you would esteem the office of the pastor without esteeming the pastor. And so what he does is he forces your hand on this thing, and he says, I'm telling you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So you got it? First Thessalonians 5, 12, 13 says, Know them. Listen, if you're going to put somebody in that position as an under-shepherd, and you're going, to, you're going to take your life, and you're going, to, you're going to invest it under their leadership, buddy, you better know them. You better make sure they fit the, the, the character of First Timothy 3 and, and Titus chapter 1. And, and knowing that, esteem them and, and love them. And, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. God says next here, obey them. Yeah. Hebrews 13, and look at verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. And that's the next one. Submit to them. Now again, listen, they aren't your Lord's they aren't your spiritual dictators, but they've been given the responsibility of oversight and leadership. And so God says, obey them and submit to them. Now, now 
Why does he say both things? Obey them and submit to them. Now, now don't make this tough because you would understand it with your kids, right? Because sometimes they do what they, you ask them to do. But the attitude they have when they do it is not submissive. You understand? And what God's saying here is obey them and submit to them. For they watch for your souls. There's that oversight thing again. And check this out. As they that must give account. Now listen, the Bible tells us that every single person, every single one of us is going to give account of himself to God. And I'm just telling you, I don't know about you, that that just makes me shudder. Does it you? I mean, imagine standing in the presence of holy, the holy God of the universe and going to give an account for yourself. That, some of you get nervous when you have to go give an account to your boss. Listen, that's a whole new animal when you go into the God of the universe, you know? And that, that, that freaks me out enough. But what, what he says here, but for those who hold the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the church, not only will they give an account of themselves to God, but what he says is we're going to give an account for how we carried out the responsibility of watching for your souls. <laughs> and that really freaks me out, to be quite honest with you. And, and, and I want you to listen to this. We do get asked, why do you guys have to make everything like it's Super Bowl Sunday every week, you know? Everything always comes with such intensity. Let, let me tell you why we're so intense. It's right there. It's because we are going to stand before the God of the universe and give an account, and we're going to have to explain how we watched for your soul. Listen, these are, these are perilous days that we're living in. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. These are dangerous days, folks, and the influences of today's society to your soul and to my soul, they're disastrous. And buddy, we ought to come in here and there ought to be some intensity about what we're hearing. Let me take you over to the book of 1 Timothy for a second. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You know, what it, you know what it tells us to do? Because the last days are coming. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. All right, how about we go... 2 Timothy chapter 4, that, that works better. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. You know what it tells us to do? Look at it. Not just teach the Word. What does it say? Preach the Word. And if you want to know what preaching the Word is, let, let's, let's don't you know, go to a dictionary definition. Let's don't go to you know, somebody's definition. Let's just... Let's just look at the verse. You know what he does? He defines what he means by preaching the word right there in the verse by what he tells Timothy to do. First of all, rebuke. Yikes. Rebuke. Listen, if you want to know the difference between teaching and preaching, you really don't even have to get past the first word of Paul's description of preaching. You see, it's in vogue today right now to teach the Bible, and people will flock to a room where somebody will simply teach the Bible, and, and they'll, they'll leave those services going, oh, I never learned so much about the Bible. Oh, it's just so wonderful to be taught the Bible. And, and that's cool. I want you to come here and, 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 and learn the Bible, but the word that he uses when you're going to preach the word, the word, the first word that he uses is rebuke. So, the, the same word is sometimes translated convict. Now, now listen, I understand Okay, please don't come to me after the service and say, well, Pastor Mark, don't you realize that, you know, it's the Spirit's job to convict? I, I understand that. But now listen, the preaching of the Word means there better be something that the Spirit can use to be convicting. You ought to come to the services on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you ought to get your toes stepped on, is really the, the paraphrase of the verse. You, you ought to come and get rebuked. The preaching of the Word of God ought to be convicting. I mean, when you come to church and there's areas of your life where you're living in sin, 
When you come to church and there's areas of your life when you're living in disobedience, when you come to church and there's areas of your life when you're less than what you ought to be, you know what? You ought to come into that room and you ought to walk out having been rebuked. Okay, I'm glad five of you agree with that. Now, now, now listen. Anybody here ever walked into this service not less than what you ought to have been? I mean, anybody ever, anybody here today coming in going, I'm everything that God wants me to be right now in my life. I'd love to, man, I'd love to sit at your feet this week because I didn't come in here this way. And you know what that means? It means that every single Sunday when you come in here, you ought to get rebuked. All right. Next he says, reprove. Reprove. Same word is also translated in a different place. Listen to this. Just straightly charge. Now, now, now listen, you can teach the word and never reprove. You can teach the word and never straightly charge anybody. You, you see, you can teach it and you can candy coat it. You can teach it and you can soft sell it. You can teach it and you can actually bypass the application of it. But you can't preach it and do that. God says here, you preach my word. You reprove. You straightly charge. Don't you candy coat it. Don't you soft sell it. Don't you bypass it. You put it out there waist high right across the plate so that nobody in that room wonders about what you're talking about. Put it right out there. You know what? The preaching of the word of God ought to be confronting. It ought to be confronting. Now understand. Now look at it. Verse 3 and 4 say that the vast majority of people in our day... Now, and that, that's the time that Paul said would come, our day right now. You know what? People in our day, and you, some of you better listen to this because you don't like what you're hearing right now, and, and you need to listen. People in our day don't like to be reproved or rebuked when they go to church. What it says right there is they're, they're going to want to come to church and be told how wonderful they are and, you know, just pet you in the direction your fur is already going and tell you, you just, oh, you are wonderful and oh, I'm telling you what, isn't it great to be children of God and it is lavishing his grace and, and we want to we want to go to church and we want to come out feeling good about ourselves and God says, I don't want them, huh, I don't want them walking out feeling good about themselves unless, unless they're everything they ought to be. Reprove, rebuke. And then he says in verse 2 that preaching the word is also something else. It's to exhort. And it's the idea of entreating what we would call today being, being stretched or challenged. You ought to come in here and be stretched and, and challenged spiritually. You ought to come in here and not be coddled, but challenged. The preaching of the word ought to be challenging. You ought to be challenged to live out who you are in Christ. It's a high calling. And you ought to be challenged to that every time you come in. Challenged to be like Him. Challenged to carry out His mission. In other words, the preaching ought to call you to some kind of response. You're exhorting towards something. And if you're missing what we're, what we're rebuking and reproving and exhorting about today, it's all about submission. It's just real simple. Okay, I'm trying to give it to you waist high, right across the plate, so that everybody understands you can't not follow the authorities that God placed in your life and think that you're following the Lamb. And as we preach, he tells us at the end of verse 2 how we're to rebuke and how we're to reprove and how we're to exhort. He says, with all long suffering. Now check it out. Paul's saying here, it ought to be intense. It ought to be convicting, it ought to be confronting, it ought to be challenging, but it shouldn't be mean-spirited, shouldn't be caustic. It should be done with, with patience, with, with long-suffering. And I'll be honest with you, I don't always know how to get that balance going. That's the way it ought to come, that's the way we want it to come. But, but boy, it's real hard to be challenging and convicting and, you know, moving somewhere and be long-suffering. Then he says it should be done with with doctrine. We rebuke, we reprove, and exhort, not with human opinion, not with human reasoning, 
Not because I say it's so, but because God says it's so. And here's where he says it. Right here. So we reprove, rebuke, and exhort with doctrine. We're to preach the Word. You see, that's the doctrine that he's talking about. And, and you see, this is, this is where the, the, the teaching element comes in. Doctrine is really just another word for, for teaching. Now listen, you, you ought to come out of this place every single Sunday knowing more about this book than when you came in. You, 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 listen, you ought to get worn out every time that you come into this place based on what he says preaching of the word is. But listen, after a year of going to a church somewhere, by a year you ought to have a pretty good understanding of what the Bible is all about. Not a guy's personality, not a lot of what he thinks, and not all of his life history. You ought to know some things about the Bible. And you see, there's two extremes going on today. You've got some guys who teach the Bible, and the people that sit there and listen, they know all kinds of truth and all kinds of doctrine, but it just never really affects their lives because it's not coming. And they're, they're, with that doctrine, they're not convicted with it. They're not confronted with it. They're not challenged with it. Then you've got other guys, and buddy, you talk about preaching. I mean, they preach, and they're ranting and raving, and they're carrying on, and every, all the people are shouting out big, loud amens, but there's never any doctrine. What they're preaching is not the Word. They're just preaching. And God is saying, listen, you rebuke, you reprove, you exhort with all long-suffering, but with doctrine. Just take it right from the book. And so you see, this is the way this thing works. Okay, now, check it out. From the platform of the character qualities that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, the pastors, we're to do our job of feeding the flock. And that's done by preaching the word, which means rebuking the flock, reproving the flock, exhorting the flock with this book. And we do our job of overseeing the flock, pointing the direction for the flock, providing leadership for the flock. And we do our job of being an example to the flock as those that are submitted themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. And then you do your job of following our lead, which biblically means knowing your leaders, respecting or esteeming them, loving them, obeying them, submitting to them, and just real quick, look back up Oh, in Hebrews. Is that where you are? We'll go back to Hebrews for a sec. Chapter 13. Look at verse 7. He says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And I'm just telling you, God has worn me out with that one. Because you know what? For you to be in this church, it, it, what it means is that the pastors of your church, the faith that they have, they ought to be moving somewhere. As God takes them into this book week after week, and God starts wearing them out, their faith ought to be moving somewhere, and God tells you, follow them. Follow their lead. And, and, and let me say this to you as, as humbly as I know how to say it to you, folks. If you're not following the God-given spiritual leaders in your local church, regardless of how close to God you feel or how spiritual you convinced yourself that you are, if you aren't following the God-given spiritual leaders of your church, it is an impossibility for you to be following the Lamb. And again, I, listen, this is not a power play. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I, I, I was reading in, in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, and I said, they, I saw that, they follow the Lamb with us wherever you go. And thought, oh, this would be a great power play right here. I'll just kind of, over several weeks, work this thing of what it means to follow, and then we'll really come in with what we want. No, I, I'm just trying to show you that you cannot have authorities in your life and not follow those authorities, and at the same time, follow Jesus. And now the Laodicean age is not going to tell you that. Nobody's going to rebuke you in that arena because people don't like it. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, there's going to be people here today 
that are not going to like this, the way the whole gig came down. But, hey, I'm just doing my job, preaching the word. And, and I love you. I want you, to, I want you to stay. I want you to be here. I want you to, I want you to like it. But if you don't, it doesn't change the fact that I'm supposed to preach the word. Now, I'm not mad at you. You see, there's long suffering coming out there. Teenagers, you can't follow the lamb and not follow your parents. Okay, now, now listen. If I were to go talk to your parents and say, based on that, does your teenager follow the lamb? What would your parents say? And, and do you understand that whatever your parents say, really? I mean, you'd love to go ask Jesus and say, Am I following you? Well, let me just tell you, whatever your parents would say, that's what Jesus would say. Wives, if I were to ask your husband, based on what we saw in the Word of God today, is your wife, oh, I know she's here all the time, I, oh, lovely singer, love to hear her sing. But is, if your, your husband had to answer whether or not you follow the lamp, would your husband say you follow the lamb fellas would the guys you work with if they knew that what God said is that when you're at work when you serve your boss you're really serving the Lord Jesus Christ would they say you're following the lamb when it comes to government taxes traffic, ordinance building code If the government knew what you know, and the government knew that if you violated what they said, that you violated what God said, would our government officials say that you are a follower of the land? You already see this one coming. If you were to ask your pastors, do you follow the land? based on how you follow their lead, would your pastors say, you follow the Lamb? And you know what? I almost feel like I need to apologize today because this is so simple. But listen, it doesn't get any more profound than this basic stuff that we're talking about here today. You know what? You get this down, you'll be well on your way in the Christian life. There's a lot of truth that you can miss along the way and a lot of ins and outs of all of the, you know, the 144,000. You can miss a lot of stuff. You miss this thing of what following is and the submission that it presumes that you are a follower. And boy, you missed that one. You missed, you missed the message of the Bible because the Lord Jesus Christ says... Follow me. Now, I know you can't see me, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some people in your life that will make it just real easy for you to know how to follow me. Let's bow our heads. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know the invitation that our God gives to you is to follow him. What the Bible says, now this is not my opinion, I, I'm not this cold-blooded, I'm just telling you what the Bible says is that if you've never come to Jesus Christ, you're following right now your own way, and though you don't realize it today, you're being led by uh, the forces of evil through the course of this world, and you're, you're following. And, and now Jesus Christ is trying to invade your life. He brought you to this room today, and now he has an invitation to you. And the invitation is no longer follow yourself it's no longer to follow the course of this world as you're being led. Now he's saying, will you follow me? And Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is God who came to this earth because of the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin was death. And all of us were to die and be eternally separated from God. And so what God did is he became a man, lived a sinless life on this earth so that he could come to die 
so that he could come to pay for our sin so that we could have a relationship with him. And the God of the universe wants to have that relationship with you today, and he gives you the invitation today to follow him. And that comes about when you will very simply say, Lord, I have been going my own way, and I am a sinner. But I want to go your way. And I know that you died to take my sin, and I call upon your name as my only hope for forgiveness of sin. Come into my life. I want to follow you. And if God is speaking to your heart about that today, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room this morning, and it is our invitation to you to receive the invitation of God today. And But listen, if you've never received Jesus Christ, before you walk out this room and just get back into the course of life, would you, would you let God today invade your life? Would you respond to his invitation to follow him? And, and why don't you come? If God's speaking to you, talk to, to one of our pastors. We'll have somebody that'll take the Bible and explain to you exactly what the Bible says needs to be done in order for you to have this relationship with God. And for the rest of our church family, hey guys, I, man, I know we, man, we've been around the block together a few times, and we, we've learned a lot of deep, deep truths. And it doesn't get any more basic than what we talked about today. But guys, the Laodiceans, we think we're doing fine, and the Lamb says we ain't. And so I'm asking you today. Are there authorities in your life that you're not following? And if so, that's something you need to nail down today. You see, this is what we are talking about before. <laughs> following, it presumes submission, but it also presumes change. And now you're being confronted today with whether or not you follow by making it right with the people that he's placed in front of you that you're not following. And for some of you, some of you to follow the lamps, or some of you teenagers before you go to camp, you know, before you come back all, all teary-eyed and all of that, before you go to camp, so that God can work in your life. You, this afternoon, you need to get some things right with your parents. Some wives need to get some things right with husbands, and husbands getting things right with wives, and and with employers, and with government. Some of you to follow the lamb. You know what's going to mean? Paying back taxes. Obeying the traffic laws. Little simple stuff like that. You know what? Following the Lamb for some of you is going to mean you know, getting on board here and, and seeing the direction that God is leading in this church and getting by the, behind those that He's placed in leadership and following their lead whose faith follow. But, but let's don't run out of here today saying, well, basic little sermon. Let, let's just ask ourselves, what needs to change in order for me to continue following the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Now, Lord, change us. May we follow you in complete obedience. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.